Well, good to have uh, you all here this morning. Welcome to the first Sunday of our Missions Month. And uh, uh, this Sunday um, is just a great privilege to introduce a good friend of mine, Tom Rukula from, from Finland. But before we get to that, just a, a couple of things. Um, if you have kids going to winter camp, um, I, I think some kind of money's due today or something like that. So make sure you find Aaron and turn those in. Secondly, we're selling um, shirts uh, for um, missions, and this profits all go to our ministry in Honduras um, with Melvin Romero's church down there, and um, has a little compass on the front, and then our theme of one Christ, one gospel, one mission um, with Matthew 28, 19 on there. And we have all sizes, all kinds of sizes. I think they're being sold down here in the children's ring, just down there. Uh, I think they're $15 for adults and 12 for children. So make sure that you go down and grab one of those. Um, if you don't like a t-shirt, give them money anyway. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, um, and we'll uh, make sure that goes to, to uh, a real good cause. Um, just before I bring Tom up, last week during our main hour, we introduced to you um, Josh Brown, and many of you know Josh Brown. He's finished seminary. He's coming back to help us and uh, help us as a, a, a staff director here and eventually work towards his pastorate here, so we're excited to have him. So he put a little video together to say hi to everybody, so we want to we play that right now. I think we're ready for that. Um, Hello, Riverbend Church. For those of you who don't know us, my name is Josh Brown. This is my beautiful wife, Victoria, and our wonderful son, Grayson. Can you say hi, Grayson? Thank you. <laughs> we recently completed seminary out here in Colorado Springs, Colorado, and I'm so thrilled to accept the position offered to me by the elders to join the staff at Riverbend Community Church. I grew up in Riverbend. I was saved at Riverbend. I met Victoria at Riverbend, and we were even married in that very sanctuary. And I say all that to say our hearts have been knit to Riverbend for a very, very long time. We are so excited to see you and be with you. We are excited to grow with you. We are excited to serve alongside of you very soon. We love you all, and we are very excited to start this ministry with you. Say bye. Say see bye. you soon. Bye. I think that's one of the goals is to train, train men and return them to the ministry, and, and so we're very excited to have it. Grayson's doing very well, just... One of the big issues is he's had his, I think, how many heart surgeries? Where, where's mom at? There she is. She's had two. He's all, he'll eventually have a third. But God connected him with another great leading heart surgeon right in Orlando. And uh, to get him down to uh, the lower altitudes uh, is perfect. And so God has been working in many ways. So we look forward to getting them here in March and, uh, and us loving on them and welcoming them in. So uh, praise the Lord for that. Well, let me bring Tom Ruckel up. Come on up, Tom. Have a seat. Well, Riverbend Community Church, this is Tom Rukula. Uh, Tom's a, a dear friend. Um, uh, Tom and I met many, many years ago. Um, we both had very similar supporting churches. We were planting churches in rural America. You were in Finland planting churches. Uh, our paths crossed, but I think where we really got united was through Dr. MacArthur's ministry. Yes. Um, at a shepherd's conference, we met there, really got to know each other, uh, we both were working with difficult uh, ministries. We were in the very rural areas, uh, 
uh, self-righteous uh, ranching people that were very difficult to reach at times. And our hearts just kind of knit it there, Tom. And, yep. and, and I think what happened is we loved all of the scriptures and, and some of the traditions that were in some of our organizations. We, we would kind of sympathize with each other and say, oh, let's just preach the word. And yep. so it really knitted our hearts together a long, long time ago. For me, Tom, I was fascinated with Finland. I, was, I had not ever even thought about Finland. Uh, uh, how many people think about Finland? <laughs> how many people think about the church there and all of that? We probably don't like we probably should. And so, Tom, that really captured me and that you guys had been there for so many years. And, and so, uh, you know, our time is limited this morning. We could talk for hours, couldn't we, yeah. uh, as we get going? And we have this weekend. We've had a great time together. But let me start with just some questions here. I sure. think that will help drive um, maybe this conversation a little bit as they listen to you and I discuss these things. Uh, first, let's start with this, Tom, because I think people need to understand this. Forty years in a spiritually difficult nation in Finland, but you weren't raised in a Christian home. So how, how did God do that? How did, how did God get a guy who wasn't raised in a Christian home, um, wasn't raised in church, and yet gave, saved him, gave him a calling to a very, very difficult nation. And you spent 40 years there. How, how did that come about? What did God do? Well, thank, thanks for the question, Scott. Uh, uh, by the way, it's a real privilege to be here. And uh, first time to uh, Florida, so it's a beautiful state. And uh, we're just glad to be able to be here for a few days. Um, yes, both my wife and I actually come from Finnish heritage. Our grandparents were born and raised in, in Finland. They're Finnish nationals. Uh, and uh, our parents, so we're, we're completely Finnish on both sides. Uh, but our, our parents were born in the States, and then we were the second generation born in the United States. So we both come from kind of a, a Finnish heritage. Uh, when I was a little boy, my grandmother never learned to speak uh, English, so I had to learn a little bit of Finnish just to communicate with her. And uh, so we always had a love for Finland. We uh, heard the stories about how uh, when Finland was attacked by the Soviet Union, they had to uh, withstand you know, the Soviet Union by themselves, and they fought nobly and all of these stories. And so uh, we had a great love for the Finnish people from our very early ages. Uh, but it wasn't necessarily in a Christian context. Uh, we were Lutheran nominally. We were baptized as infants, but we almost never went to the church. Uh, it was sort of a tradition. Uh, but what changed in my life is, uh, well, I met my wife at University of Wyoming uh, when I was there for my final semester, and she shared the gospel with, with me. She had come to know Christ as a, as a teenager in high school. And uh, when I heard her, I started seriously considering what she said, and, and uh, it led to my salvation in Christ at age 25 in 1973. I was working as a uh, fish biologist for the state of Alaska, and uh, God just did a work in my heart to, by the grace of God, I was converted to Christ, I was born again, and uh, as the Bible says, if any man is in Christ, he is a new creation, the old has passed away, behold, all, all things have become new, and so uh, it changed my worldview. And uh, first thing I wanted to do is get a Bible, read it. Uh, we got married that following spring and, and uh, joined a church, Baptist church in Anchorage. And uh, it, it just went on from there. And we felt called into the ministry. Uh, so we went away to Bible college in uh, Iowa, Faith Baptist Bible College. And uh, during that time, as, as we prayed about what God would have us to do, it was the Lord's 
uh, laying that burden of Finland on our hearts to go to the Finnish people. We had actually visited there um, in 1974 on our honeymoon and uh, visiting shirt tail relatives and things and we saw the, the spiritual need there and uh, it, it just, it was the work of God to, to burden us and to lead us in that direction and so that, that was a natural thing for us to do. Did you have family in Alaska? How did you get to Alaska? Because that was kind of that yeah. preparing ground for that cold country to go. How, where did you know, Alaska I, come in? I there? don't know. I guess I've, I'm sort of glutton for punishment. I've always uh, liked uh, cold places, I guess, uh, partly it's because of my job. There. I actually first went there in 1970 and uh, worked there for one summer, and then, then I was there uh, later. But um, we don't have family in Alaska, and... Uh, and yet uh, we, you know, Alaska, every, every state has a motto, Florida is the sunshine state. Uh, Alaska is the last frontier. Yeah. <laughs> and so we're just there conquering the wild frontier. <laughs> Somebody has to do it, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But uh, the, if you've ever been to Alaska, there's amazing opportunities, uh, the outdoors. And, of course, I was very active in outdoor things when I was younger, and uh, that's what mainly attracted me. Mm. So. Well, for sake of time, let's move into Finland. Finland is a difficult place. You and I have been talking about this for years, and we shared a little bit of this yesterday morning, but um, Finland has a state-run Lutheran church and widespread Pentecostalism. But let me ask this question. Tom, why are there so few believers there? Yes, you know, uh, across Europe, uh, they've had the gospel in uh, past centuries, and they think in terms of a state church. And so people in Finland, like many other European countries, become members of the state church almost automatically. That's the default position. When we went there, 98% of the Finnish population were actual members, official members of the, of the Lutheran state church because they're, they're inducted into it through their infant baptism. And uh, even if they never go to church, they, they're still members. Uh, they go there for the weddings and the funerals, of course, or confirmation, but uh, for most of them, it's just a tradition. Out of the 98% uh, of them that are members, only about 2% of them actually attend church regularly, and that's counted just once a month. How so, many of them are, you, you told us yesterday that many of them are atheists. Yes, and, and you'd be surprised that here they're Lutherans, they're familiar with the gospel, but uh, I would say as much as half of them or even more are actually atheists when you talk to them on a personal level. They don't believe in a transcendent God. Uh, they believe in science and a lot of other things, but not God. So they, uh, they're, uh, they have a certain uh, false assurance because they're members of a church. If you talk to a Finn, try to present the gospel, he says, I'm a Christian, I've been baptized, I'm a member of the church, and that's the end of the conversation. So don't talk to me, move on, as though they know it all. And so it, it presents a certain level of uh, difficulty to, to get to them, and we've struggled for 40 years to try to overcome that, and it's, it's an ongoing uh, struggle. So, so you're dealing with a, a Lutheranism that denies a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, Christ alone to salvation. They deny in, in, in a lot of that hold to sacramental. They, they, would, they would not openly deny that. But this is, this is the way it is. They believe, in all, they believe in Christ, faith alone. Everybody, every finished person knows you're saved by faith alone. Uh, but that being said, they move on to live their selfish, godless lives. And so uh, the sacramental system teaches them that if you've been baptized, then you become a child of God. And so what need is there to do anything else if you're a child of God? 
And so that's the way most Finns mm -hmm. think. I, I think, unbeknownst to a lot of us Westerners, we don't understand the power of uh, Pentecostalism that has a grip on the nation as well, um, that really leads people away from a true gospel. Speak to that for just a moment, because I know you've had it's, to battle uh, those That's things. the other, uh, you think of it kind of the opposite extreme of, tr of traditionalism, but the, the connection is actually uh, mysticism, uh, this uh, intu intuition where you feel God, you hear God, you go deep into your thoughts, which if, you have to, if you're taught to believe in sacramentalism, that somehow God is mystically working through sacraments, uh, which is nonsense, uh, then it's a small step to think God is speaking to me and he wants me to speak in tongues, he wants me to receive new revelations or have dreams and visions, that sort of a thing. And so uh, there's a very significant Pentecostal movement in Finland and these are the only definitions, uh, expressions of Christianity that they know is either Lutheranism, which is rather cold and dry and remote, or the uh, almost, not, not so fanatical, but just this uh, Pentecostalism, which brings God a little closer to them and makes it a little more real because they can go and uh, experience unusual things. And they, they <laughs> you hear some weird testimonies, but uh, in all of that, by the grace of God, there are some Christ real Christians in both camps, but uh, the, the, the real Christians are a small, small minority. So, uh, inerrancy, infallible understanding of the Word of God, um, believing in a Christ alone salvation that, that uh, not ashamed of the gospel, uh, uh, surrendering to Him as our Lord to let Him guide and direct our lives, that, that's a difficulty. That you, it's... The, the Pentecostals would get, give lip service to that, all of those things you said, uh, but it gets down to the specifics then uh, and how to live a daily life for Christ. So uh, they'll, they will hedge on that because while they affirm all those things, they also affirm uh, supernatural gifts and new revelations, which if you think about it, supersede or, or are added to the scriptures. Yeah. And so right. when I talk with Pentecostals, often I'll say, well, what's your authority for saying that? Well, they say, I saw this, or I experienced this, or I, yeah. I, uh, somebody I heard did this. It's not the scriptures. It's something yeah. other than the scriptures. Right. So it, 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 it's a subtle uh, shift from the authority of scripture to experience. And yeah. that's the fatal flaw of the whole system. So much to talk about there. I, you know, we deal with some of that ourselves um, here. Um, but just for the sake of moving on, for 40 years you're there. And um, Tom, I know that you used street evangelism uh, yeah. to reach people. You went door to door for a while. Um, uh, and can you tell us about um, your evangelism efforts? Because Finns are a little different than us yeah. from you explaining to us. So maybe a little bit of background of who they are and then your tactics through the years by the grace of God to try to reach them. Right, right. Well, we've been the only missionaries in Finland and uh, so it's been a challenge for us to try to penetrate that society effectively. Uh, we know that they're, they're very quiet people, very shy. Uh, they'd rather listen than talk. And so, but they're 100% literacy, very literate people, very intelligent, well-educated people. So we, when we started out, we uh, emphasized literature. We, I wrote and published a, a whole series of tracts, gospel tracts, and we delivered those to the doors. People, we had freedom to do that. And uh, we felt that we were reasonably effective by that, but we didn't, the, the people will agree with something or get interested, but they won't come out to you. So we went, uh, 
we followed that up with a door-to-door -door visitation program. How did that go? Um, that's, <laughs> that's really a challenge because uh, the Finns don't like to open the door to somebody they don't know. They'll often open, crack it a little bit and peek out and close it right away. You can't very well talk with people that way. And, uh, and yet sometimes we have a reasonable conversation, so we tried our best. But, uh, and it, like I say, this took a long time, but uh, about 10 years ago we decided uh, we're going to have to bypass all of the uh, cultural norms and just approach them directly face to face, eyeball to eyeball. And the only way to do that is in a neutral setting, namely in the city square, on campuses, uh, in the, on the street, wherever we can meet them and address them because we had to break things open. And that, that was uh, a great turning point in our ministry because uh, I've been blessed in the last 10 years or so to uh, do what I call street evangelism. And I'll take a few moments here to, uh, yeah, to, to give yeah, a little, we, little, I think little this is uh, a challenge for uh, us. I really wish I had more time, but uh, you might think this is ridiculous. I'm not a fanatic. Well, uh, you'd be surprised what you can do, and I think everybody here can do more. You admit that. But uh, the best way to meet people is person to person. I mean, the best way to present the gospel is person to person. It is 10 times better than any technology far better than putting things on Facebook or handing a track, a track, all that's good, but speaking to them, even with all of our uh, weaknesses and failures, is still ten times better than any other method of presenting the gospel. And so uh, what I did is I was inspired by, uh, you know, Ray Comfort and some others who've done this sort of a thing, but I don't necessarily follow that exact yeah. uh, approach. Uh, what I do First, first of all, you better have your life pure before God. If there's any immorality, impurity there, it will seal your lips. It will, uh, it will shame, you'll be ashamed to stand and speak before people. You've got to live a righteous life. But uh, we know the Great Commission tells us to go. And uh, so we have to get over the fear of man because God will not bless that. And so uh, there's three great principles that, that guides everything that I do in street evangelism. The first is boldness. You have to get out there and actually approach somebody that you don't, you don't know and you, you this is, it takes guts. <laughs> so boldness, true, uh, uh, second, second is friendliness. You better be smiling, you better be friendly because the only thing they see is, is this strange person and you better, be, you better appear friendly. And then the third element is truth. It's, it's sort of what I call the, the law of threes. Everything important comes in threes and so I kind of talk like this. But, Boldness, friendliness, and truth. And so I don't uh, deceive. I don't use any uh, tactics that mislead people. I don't say I'm a fireman coming here to rescue you from fires. Or, yeah. You know, people come up with some weird stuff. Yeah. Uh, the, my approach, I'll just, since the time Absolutely. is really limited, I'm just going to tell you what to say. I, I smile and say, how are you today? Can I ask you a question? And uh, by doing that, I do it for legal purposes. I don't want to interrupt somebody who doesn't want to talk with me. If they don't want to say anything, they can keep going. I don't stop them. I never buttonhole anyone. But if you're smiling and friendly, you know, they think I'm asking for directions to the bus stop, something like this. And so they say, sure. And I smile and I say, this is my lead question. Do you believe in heaven? And they look at me, they're not expecting that. And I smile and I wait for an answer. And uh, sometimes they'll, I've had people say, well, what, what right do you have to ask me that? 
what do you say? See, I've, I've, I've got experience. Okay, <clears throat> my answer is, because I'm going to heaven, and maybe you can go too. Mm. So what you do with every objection, you can turn that around and disarm them. And if you're friendly and you say it with a smile, you'd be surprised how far you can get. I know people are busy and they're in a hurry. And I've, told, I've had <clears throat> dozens of people, hundreds of people tell me, I don't have time. I'm in a hurry. I can't, I can't go. And yet they'll st stay there and talk with me for a half an hour because it, the subject matter is so intensely interesting hmm. that they can't get away. So whatever your first question is, and it doesn't have to necessarily be that. I haven't found anything better. If you find something better, you can tell me. Some people say, uh, do you know where you'd go if you died today? Well, <laughs> there was a, people don't like to talk about dying today. <laughs> okay, no, that's not a good thought. So whatever it is you're going to talk about, it has to be positive, it has to get directly into the heart of the issue, and it has to be intensely interesting. And I found this to be the best opening question. Do you believe in heaven? I'm not asking, are you going to heaven? And sometimes they'll say, well, yes. Well, what's the follow-up question? How do you get there? Well, good. Are you going to go there? Yeah. If you believe in heaven, are you going to go there? And this is where many of them will hesitate. Well, you know, who can know? Or I'm not sure. And at that point, I'll say, you know, you're right. Only real Christians can know for sure that they're going to heaven. Everybody else is going to be a little unsure. And that's a nice way of saying you're probably not a real Christian. <laughs> that's okay. You've got to discern where they stand. And by, the, the key is asking questions. This isn't, you, you cannot memorize a script. You cannot have a th three-step pattern. Mm. You've got to put that all away. From the very start, this, the conversation can pivot any direction. And you've got to follow that conversation wherever it goes and direct it toward Christ and toward eternity. So, so and then I, at that point, I'll introduce myself and say, my name's Tom, what's yours? And shake their hand and remember their first name. Because if you use their first name and you say, Scott, yeah. but that, they can't hardly ignore you when you talk it's like personal that. Too. It's really personal. And so, uh, now if they say, no, they don't believe in heaven, well, that's not the end of the conversation. You've got a response. You've got, you got to handle that. What are you going to say next? I say, well, then what do you believe in? Everybody believes in something. What makes you get up in the morning? If you don't believe in heaven, what do you believe in? Mm. Now, some of them have never thought about it. Some say, well, I just believe in myself. And I have, that's one of the common answers. I say, you know, I used to believe in myself, too, until I found myself making mistakes. And now I can't even trust myself all the time. And then, of course, I'll move on. Or, or sometimes they'll say, well, I believe in science. And I'll say, you know, I believe in science too. But science will only take you so far. You see, science can't answer the big questions. Where did we come from? Why are we here? And where are we going? And so it makes people think because you have, a, you have to have a response for every objection, every diversion. And so then I will go on to, uh, okay, I've got there, and then I'll, of course, introduce myself. I realize they're, I, I discern whether they're a Christian or not. And so far, out of all those options, none of them are Christians. Most people are not. If they say they believe in Christ, if they say they are going to heaven and they're confident of it, then I'll say, well, how do you know? In other words, you can't be sure that they're Christians even yet. How do you know you're going to heaven? And only if they say that they trust in Christ are you confident that they're Christians. And then I'll say, well, what church do you go to? And maybe ask some other 
leading questions. But for the vast majority of people, they're not real Christians. And so I'll, 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 I'll present the gospel in this way. Now you're free to be a little bit uh, flexible here, however you like, but this is the way I do it. Uh, we know that these, this person is probably not a Christian. I'll say, you know, Scott, you know, I'll, first I'll, I'll often ask their age because I like to evangelize people on campus, they're 20-something. I'll say, you know, at age 23, you know, there's a lot of problems in the world. Sometimes we even have personal problems. But Scott, what do you think is mankind's biggest problem? Mm. Mm. I like to bring people to the extremes of things. What is mankind's biggest problem? Anybody, who can answer that? What? Yes, sin. I'm glad we got a smart crowd here. Man's biggest problem, you know, people will answer, well, global warming, or President Trump, or who knows. I mean, there's every, you, you know, they will provoke you with every answer. Some people say, well, one guy says, you know, it's people like you that come around talking to me like that, and I'm even ready for that. And I'll say, you know, I know there's a lot of confusion religiously, and there people have strong ideas. Uh, so I, there's no wrong answers here. We'll let them say something. The idea is to have them, they have to be involved in the conversation. You're not just preaching to them. You're asking leading questions, and with each answer, that directs you into where they are resisting God. The Bible says the unrighteous are suppressing the truth, Romans 1.18. And you have to find at what point are they suppressing that truth. And so they'll, they will say, make some, uh, who knows, uh, overpopulation, let's say. I'll say, you know, yeah, that's a problem. I understand what you're saying. But there's a bigger problem yet. Mm. And by this time, they're waiting. Well, well what is it? What is it? You know? Yeah, they want to know. Or sometimes people will say, uh, well, I don't know, but I'm sure you're going to tell me. <laughs> I mean, there's a lot, like, a lot of this stuff. And I say, yes, I will tell you. But your, your answers are important to me. I'd like to hear what you think. You see, you, you, you're drawing them in. While they're trying to push away, you're drawing them in. And I, uh, many times, people will thank me afterwards. So anyway, I say, actually, man's biggest problem is sin. And I followed up by saying, we know that because the Bible says the wages of sin is death. And so here's where I start to get scripture. The wages of sin is death. Some people say they don't believe in the Bible. I'll say, that doesn't matter. You're going to die whether you believe it or not. And it's because of your sin. In fact, let me ask you, have you ever sinned? This is where you have to get personal. Have you ever sinned? You have to talk about sin. You can't present the gospel right. without talking about sin. If you think you can talk about the love of God, you're going to miss a lot of people. So they will often say, well, what is sin? You better have the right answer. Biblically, sin is breaking God's law. 1 John 3, 4, sin is lawlessness. And I'll say, have you ever broken God's law? Well, they'll say, what's God's law? Well, I'll say it starts with the Ten Commandments. It's, and it goes on from there. And Jesus said, who, you, know, he, you know, it's a lot of things like this. So you, some, some, and I have people who will really argue this point. And I love to follow that. You have to deal with this. I'll say, well, so you, you, you haven't sinned then? Is that what you're trying to say? Well, no, no, I don't think I've sinned. Well, one guy says, not that I can recall. <laughs> Literally. Yeah. And I'll say, well, then let me ask you this. Are you perfect? Are you perfect? And so far, nobody has ever said they're perfect. If yeah. they do, you might as well stop the conversation because they're not being serious with you. Yeah. And, and they'll say, well, no, I'm not perfect. Well, and then I say, Jesus, but Jesus said, you must be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. 
Matthew 5.48. And all those little imperfections, you see, are sin before God. And that's why you're going to die, because you have sinned. Now, at some point, they're going to have to acknowledge that, or at least accept that. And then we can move on, and I'll say, the wa now, the wages of sin is death. Uh, and for that reason, you're going to die. Unless you would know of a sinless person who could come and die in your place to take your sin. They could, they could pay your price for you, and then you could go free. In fact, I'll say, do you happen to know anybody? How long have you been studying here at the university? Maybe you've met someone or you know, have a relative who has never sinned. <laughs> and sometimes they'll say, oh, no, there's nobody like that. So let's just talk in theory then. Is, if there's somebody who's never sinned and they come and die, they say they love you enough that they will die for you, Scott, mm. then you could go free. Do you know of anyone like that? Mm. And of course, they'll say, no, no. Some, some said, well, my mother... <laughs> and, and I'll say, well, has she ever sinned? Well, well, not bad. I'll say, well, that she's disqualified, you see. Yeah. And so you get all kinds of, it can be interesting here. And, and I'll say, no, I've, I've met a lot of people better than me, but I've never met anyone who's completely sinless. And that's what the Bible says. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. You see, we're right there in Romans 6, 23. And so the only sinless person is God himself. And he is in heavenly glory and majesty separated from us. We're all corrupted by sin to one degree or another. But God, is, God who is our creator and judge, he is in majesty and glory and he is sinless. But he created us and he loves us. And God himself came down from heaven and became a man and was born and laid in a manger, and that's who Jesus is. He is God in human flesh. He's the Son of God, but he is, he is God in human flesh. And he's the only, Jesus is the only man who never sinned. You have to establish the deity and the sinlessness of Christ. And he loved us enough to go to the cross and to die on the cross and to bleed and die and suffer for our sins. He was, and he was buried, and he rose up again. And so he is alive today. You emphasize the death and resurrection of Christ. He is alive today to save sinners who repent of their sin and turn to him by faith. You, you never miss talking about repentance. And so most of the time when I'm talking with Finnish people, they, this all sounds so familiar. And they're familiar with, with that. And I'll say, are, are you familiar with that? And they'll say, yes. If they have questions, you answer them. And, and I'll say... Uh, so, does that sound, and then I'll, I, I have to probe, see, because I'll say, does that sound reasonable to you that God would do that? And some will raise objections, well, why would God do that? And the Bible says, because he loved us. That's why, for God so loved the world. And, and so you, would, you deal with questions, and, and don't suppress questions, because you have to address those questions. They, they will try to throw you off track, but you must be prepared to answer every one of those objections biblically. And so I'll say, so you understand that? It seems reasonable to you, Scott. Let's, sorry, I have to pick yeah, on somebody. Okay. Right. <laughs> and you, occasionally, like I say, you use their first name, and man, they're, in, they're involved in the conversation. I'll say, then, Scott, what, let me ha I have to ask you this. It leads me to this next question. Remember this question. What then is preventing you from pre repenting of your sin and trusting in Christ as your Savior? I don't say, why don't you believe in Jesus? They're not going to do that. I say, What's, what is it preventing you? 
And some will say, well, I guess nothing. And I'll say, well, that's good. Then you can trust in Christ right now. Now, I don't lead them in a prayer. I, I avoid that because that can be very misleading. But I, I, I tell them that you can, you can believe in Christ. But, but, and sometimes people will want to pray with you. I'll do that. But that, I'm not encouraging or trying to lead them. In, I, I don't have any hook or any, there's no silver bullet here. The, the power is in the truth of the, of the gospel. But most people will say, well, I just don't believe. Okay, now this is where you, you're going to have to uh, deal with some issues, especially with young college students. They're so smart. They just don't believe any of that. I'll say, well, Scott, then let me ask you a question. Uh, are you afraid of God? And of course, most of them are atheists. Uh, no, no, they're not afraid of something that doesn't exist. I'll say, well, that's the problem. You see, the Bible says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Mm. So if you're not afraid of God, who is the judge of all mankind, then you don't know anything. Mm. And, and, I'm, I'm say, and I'm saying, this isn't my word. This is what the Bible says. Proverbs 1.7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. It's also the beginning of wisdom, but it's the beginning of knowledge. I say, what do you know for sure? You can't be sure of anything. This could be a dream. We could have entered the matrix. I mean, if you start to get philosophical. Yeah. And, and, you know, you don't know anything, so you're ignorant. I'll say, let me ask you another question. You've heard of uh, human trafficking. You've heard of slavery. I mean, in our day, there is slavery in our, yeah. in our world. I'll say, what do you think about slavery? Well, they don't, they don't like slavery. They think it's bad. I say, I agree. It's, it's a bad thing. But now, Jesus had something to say about slavery. And they're, they're surprised to hear this. Yeah, Jesus had something to say about slavery. And they're waiting to hear it. I'll say, Jesus said, whoever commits sin is the slave of sin. That's uh, John 8, 8, 34. And, and I'll say, now you, you admitted, right, that you had sinned. Yeah. I say, then how do you like being a slave? Well, they don't like being a slave. <laughs> or some, well, some say, well, it's different. I'll say, well, it's actually far worse. It's immoral, because moral slavery is far worse than physical slavery. You're not even free to think your own thoughts. You're under the control of your sin. Your sin controls you. And a slave master controls the slave, and the slave must do what the slave master says. So you're ignorant, and you're a, you're a slave to your sin. Let me ask you another question. Uh, how do you come to your conclusions regarding all these important matters? You know, And, and some will say, well, I, I consider the data, and I, I make up my own mind. And I'll say, well, once again, you know, that's a problem. Your, your final authority is your own mind. And the Bible says whoever trusts in his own mind is a fool. Mm. Proverbs 28, 26. Whoever trusts in his own mind is a fool. And why is that? Because your mind changes. We, we think one thing for a while, and then we start thinking something else. I don't even trust my own mind. My only authority is the word of God, God's word. God, who cannot lie, gave us his word. The, the scripture cannot be broken, so that's where my authority is. And, and I can go into a, a, a very uh, convincing argument regarding knowledge. I'll say, let's say, let's say how much, uh, suppose you know like 5% of all the knowledge that's in the world, or let's be generous, 30%. Is it possible, and of course, probably far lower percent, but is it possible that out of that 70% that you don't know, that there's something in that 70% that cancels out 
what you think you know? <laughs> so how much do you have to know to be sure of anything? Even if you know 99% of all the knowledge in the world, there's that 1% that you're unsure about. It could cancel out something you think you're sure, you're, you know. I says the only way you can know anything for sure is to know everything perfectly. And there's none of us like that. The only person that knows everything perfectly is God in heaven. And he has given us his revelation. And that's what we base our lives upon. We can build our lives upon the truth of God's word. Mm. So, so it, it seems here that, and I'll say, Scott, it's not looking good for you on the great day of judgment. <laughs> because first of all, you're ignorant. Mm -hmm. Because you don't fear God. You're a slave to your sin. And you're a fool. Now, those are not my words. That's what the Bible says. And I smile as I say it. And they know that it's true because it's not, I mean, I like you, Scott. Yeah. You seem like a nice guy, and I'll, I'll say that, and I appreciate your honesty. Be sure to tell them these things when, when they speak. Because if they're not honest, you can't get anywhere. But this is, this is where you show them that they are desperately lost. You can't see, nobody's going to get saved until they realize their desperate condition in sin. They're slaves to their sin. They have to obey their sin. And over time, that, sin, that, takes, that slave master takes a bigger grip on them, and they cannot get free. Your only hope is to turn to Christ. He's the only one that can set you free because he died on the cross and rose again. He paid the price for sin. Your only hope is in him. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And, and I say it is, and, and people say, oh, I'll just wait and see. I'll say, okay, you're, you're welcome to take your chances, but you know, you're, you're, at great, you're in grave danger. And, and uh, I use verses like Hebrews 9.27. You know, the Bible says, Scott, it's appointed unto men once to die, but after this comes the judgment. And so you're going to come before God on the great day of judgment. Point them to eternity. Warn them. And, and I say, and God, who is perfect, expects Absolute perfection. One sin cancels you, your chances of forgiveness and getting to heaven. And there's only one other, one other option, and that's hell. I've had people say, well, they don't believe in heaven, but they believe in hell. I say, well, you got it half right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And we could start from there. But I, I talk to them, and, I, and if they get testy, which some of them do, I'll say, you know, Jesus said there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. I, and this is, I, I speak scripture. My, they, 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 uh, some will say, uh, uh, you, you, can't you can't convince me. I'm not, I'm not about to change. I'll say, listen, I'm well aware of my limitations, but I know what the word of God says, and God's word will not fail. And so I'm just trying to reason with you as a fellow human being what the truth is. So this is, this is how the conversation goes. And I, I could talk a lot, long time about examples I've had and uh, clearly this is your passion it, in, in so many ways Tom because, yeah. and it should be a you're a missionary yeah, yeah. <laughs> this is what we do and we're missionaries as well um, one one final concluding thought on that yeah. because I want to deal with just a few more thoughts here is I know you love the doctrines of grace yes <laughs> you yes. understand a sovereign God yep. and his providence and all of those things and yet you have not lost your passion to share the gospel with people and plead people to come to salvation you, you see that as a responsibility of us as believers, don't you? Absolutely, and that's one of the, that's one of the things that keeps me going. Uh, if I were depending on my own skill or upon, uh, I don't know, something else, I, I would easily be discouraged because you're, you're not going to see, that, believe me, this is a sowing ministry. Uh, you're not going to see 
uh, much harvest in it. But you're going to see the impact uh, that it's having on them. You'll see it in their faces. They'll change. Some people start out as atheists, and then they're often, often very unsure about their atheism. Some people uh, will, will, like I say, will even thank me for talking with them. Mm-hmm. I know as a, as a five-point Calvinist, which I am, that God has chosen his people and that I have the opportunity to speak to all people, and some of them are going to come to Christ. That's not in my control. Even the ones that don't, I have the opportunity to talk with them, and, it, and that brings glory to God, right. and it makes them more responsible. And it, 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 you know, in fact, one of the things you've got to stop and think, what is our goal? If we're going to go out there on the street and put ourselves out there, what is, what is the goal? If you say the goal is to get people saved, now that's a nice-sounding goal, but you're going to be disappointed after a short time because you're not going to see people saved unless you use some slick uh, trick. You know, people do this. You go, well, if you believe this, you have to go and let's follow this route. I don't trick people. But if your goal is to sow the seed of the gospel, if your goal is to uh, be faithful to the Great Commission, if your goal is to... uh, bring glory to God, mm-hmm. and all of these things, then you can attain that goal. Then you can, you can carry on. In fact, the longer I've done this, God has just given me a, a, such a love for people. I mean, even people who are adamantly opposed to me. And, and the reward, whenever you do the right thing, the, re, the reward is built into the doing of it. Mm. And God fills my heart. I just can't keep quiet. It's, it's, it just drives me all the more. And I... I, yeah. I, you know, we, we look at missions conference sometimes, and I think our temptation as a church is, oh, good, we're going to get to hear about missions around the world. That'll make me feel better. But that's really about what we're about. What I think our goal as elders here is to put men in front of our congregation to encourage us to be on mission, to realize that there is uh, opportunities for all of us to bring glory to the Lord and to to have that humble emboldenedness to say, hey, friend, what's going to happen to you? Where are you going? Yeah, Do you believe yeah. in heaven? How, uh, to lead into that, be able to share the gospel and how glorified God is, whether that person comes to faith or not, is not, it's not God never asks us to save them. Yeah. But, and I think that's what Missions Conference or Missions Month is about, to strengthen us, not to just sit back and go, oh, we have these missionaries and we have this and that. We want to be careful of that here. We want to be challenged, each of us, to be able to share the gospel. In our limited time here, Tom, just getting back, because we want to hear you preach in the second hour, um, is, uh, one, you raised a bunch of kids uh, in (laughs) Finland as well. You want to just, I I know mom's probably going to want you to share that real quick. (laughs) Tell them about your children and and, uh, just briefly. Yeah, we have have three children, a daughter, a son, and a daughter. And now we have nine grandchildren, so we're blessed. But uh, our children went to the Finnish schools. Often people will uh, ask us, you know, well, did you homeschool your children or or did you send them to the public schools? And I say, yes, we homeschooled our children and we sent them to public schools. We double schooled our children. So they would go to the public schools, Finnish schools, speaking Finnish in, in the morning time, and then in the afternoons they would come home and we'd have a full uh, curriculum for them in English in homeschool. So when they went on to college, then they only had single school. 
And that was rather easy because they'd been used to double school. <laughs> and so they all graduated, you know, with honors and everything. So our son is a rocket engineer. Our daughters were successful in their careers and such. And so we're grateful by the grace of God to have three children who love the Lord and uh, nine grandchildren. It's, it's just a bl How blessing. How many have ever seen Dr. MacArthur on CNN with um, Larry King? Um, <laughs> Tom is <laughs> the reason that happened. His son-in-law worked uh, as a producer for that show, and Tom called him, because they kept having rabbis and yeah. Catholic priests on there, and Tom said, uh, what's your son? son yeah, his name's Dean. Yeah, that yeah. was back a few years ago now. But yeah, that, uh, get, why don't you get Dr. MacArthur on there? Today? Yeah, Dr. MacArthur didn't even know, uh, but it, it it was because of our son-in-law Dean. Yeah, that, what a great uh, opportunity that, that he was. got invited there, and we were grateful for that. Well, just a couple more because sure. we're running out of time quickly. Um, Forty years of ministry. Um, you know, you don't uh, you didn't walk away from a, a mega church. That wasn't God's plan. But you certainly saw people get saved. The church is there. But God gave you a young man um, that you discipled and uh, sent to Master Seminary. Now is there. Can you just briefly, I think this is maybe right. a good time for some pictures, Troy, to come up here on this. Yeah, we, uh, we of course, uh, you're always trying to find uh, material people who are, that's me, on the right. Just, We're doing he, some street evangelism there. He's so just going to roll through some yeah. of those. But uh, he came into our church about 10 years ago, in fact, 10 years ago this year, and he was only 19 years old, just turning 20, and he came from another city in Tampere, in, in Finland, about five hours drive, but he found our church on, online, and uh, he's a very careful student. He's, he had studied all the websites of all the churches, I mean all the churches in Finland, and uh, he came to the conclusion that our church was the only Bible-believing church in the country. And so he, he visited our church one Sunday. He, he got some of our literature, and he agreed with it thoroughly. Here is a young man. He's, he's converted by the grace of God before this, but he had discernment to recognize that. And uh, he quickly decided that he was going to move from his city to our city and so he could join our church and, and be actively involved. And so he did that. And uh, we, it was our joy to teach him and to be uh, his mentor to try to... Uh, and, and it was God's grace to see it, that he grew. I mean, this is, some things are out of your control. You can't take material, people that are not uh, called of God, but he was clearly uh, obedient to the word at, at every point, and we saw him grow up and meet his future wife there at our church, and then he got married, and now they have three small ch sons. He's just turned 30 last spring. But yeah, Hold fact, that one, Troy. Yeah, that's, uh, we ordained him uh, this, early this spring, uh, we had a thorough uh, examining on one Saturday. Some of our um, Christian uh, brothers and sisters would, uh, were there. And uh, so according to the word of God, it's, you know, uh, and Titus says to uh, ordain elders in every town. And that's what we did. And uh, he is, uh, he, he, we helped him to get to the master's seminary about four years ago now, four and a half years ago. We paid for his tuition and got him, him and his wife there settled. And he... He did very well, graduated with honors, was the student body president. Uh, the only student to ever come from Finland and uh, graduated, came back uh, about a year and a half ago now, came back to Finland. So we stayed there one more year with him for the transition. And uh, now we've, uh, we've stepped aside and turned everything over to him. So 40 years in a difficult ministry, um, at times, um, uh, and this is my final question because we need, we need to wrap up here. After 40 years of a, in a difficult ministry in a difficult field, um, why didn't you quit? 
Uh, well, you know, kept you faithful is, because people, I know you told me there were people, Christians, and even churches said, quit. Yeah. You know, it's not, it's, yeah. it's too hard. Leave there. There's it, no Christians. It, it was very tempting at some time, some points, but you know, I partly Finnish people are very stubborn <laughs> and uh, that's one of the things I inherited from my parents. But uh, uh, I, I, quitting was never an option. I mean, I had every justification to walk away. You know, people says, just shake the dust off your shoes. They don't, they, they're, you know, not worthy. But I can't quit. I have to, God's called me there. I just can't walk away. I, you only fail if you quit. You, you, we're going to make this happen. I had, uh, in fact, one fellow in the church ask me, well, what, what are we going to do? We're preaching the gospel. We're doing everything we can, but nobody's coming. And I said, I don't, he says, what are you going to do? What else are you going to do? I says, I don't have a plan B. I don't have a plan B. I've left that, my life behind me. I'm here now. This is, got, it's either gonna, I, this is gonna work or we're gonna die. It's one of the two. I mean, yeah. uh, we, yeah. by the, and, the, and once again, I give God the grace, uh, the honor and glory because he was providing for us. Uh, this is the way I look at it. The people are still lost. The gospel is still true. God is providing for us. The Great Commission is still true. What are we going to do? We're going to keep, keep at it. You know, Jeremiah and the prophets had the same situation. Yeah. And the Lord gave us just enough encouragement continuously to, to stay with it. And uh, we're in the Word. We're, uh, the, one of the blessings is we're full-time studying the Word we're, to prepare for everything. And so the, it's speaking to us. It's an, it's an encouragement. Mm. And we're not, our ministry is not driven by the results. It's driven by the truth of God's word. Mm. And so the results are, are in God's hands. And so we recognize, and that's again, trusting God's sovereignty, knowing that, uh, knowing our limitations. Mm. Uh, and yet we have to abide by certain biblical uh, parameters. We stay within that. And God will bless his word. Uh, I would love to see more people openly come forward and profess Christ, but you know, it just didn't happen, and it took years to bring this church to a, a place where we could walk away and turn it over. Uh, such a good word to close with. I think we as Americans um, want instantaneous satisfaction to, to whatever in life. Yeah. Um, and I think we get thinking that should happen everywhere in our churches, but we have a great verse that Christ said, I build a church. Yep. And, um, and we trust him, and we faithfully do what he's called. We repent when we when we have not followed him in those areas, but we faithfully trust him. Such a good message for those here struggling with marriage, struggling with raising children, struggling with walking with Christ, that faithfulness to him and his word. And, uh, and, and I, I just want you to know, Tom, after watching you and Linda for all these years of ministry, you have really encouraged Gene and I um, during some difficult times during our lives. And uh, to know that someone went somewhere where nobody else went. Yeah. There are no missionaries in Finland. Um, there is just devoid, much like that upper parallel, you know, Iceland and all those other places. They're just not there. Yeah. We somehow don't find people to send them there. And it's a difficult language. We wish we had time to talk about their language. Yeah. Oh, how hard that language is uh, to learn. One of the most difficult languages in the world. Uh, but yet you learned how to preach and, and finish and evangelize and finish. And, uh, and so... God strengthened you and did remarkable things. There's books there. Your book um, yeah. now is written. Um, some of MacArthur's books translated. The, yep. the, the MacArthur Study Bible is coming out. His notes are coming yep. Yep. in Finnish yep. uh, there. 
Uh, so many things that I think will come in years from that work there that God will bless. But yeah. uh, what a joy to have you here. We're, we're grateful that you would come across the country. Um, they've retired. They live on the west coast of the United States. They have, they have a home in Alaska where their home church is and there. And then they have a summer home. They're, it sounds like they want to get away from the cold a little bit in um, uh, excuse me, a winter home in yeah. uh, Scottsdale yeah, or we call Phoenix it area. Southern Command and Northern Command. Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> so um, uh, we're, we're grateful, Tom, yeah. that you and Linda, and we're, we want to praise the Lord for what he's done in your life and encouragement. And, um, but we'll, we'll close in prayer here and then okay. look forward to you open the Word of God. I know you're going to be preaching on Romans 1 yeah. uh, to us today, and we look forward to uh, hearing God's Word spoke and your faithfulness to His Word. Well, did you appreciate that? Yeah. <laughs> Let's pray, and then we'll take a break here. Father, thank you for bringing Tom and Linda to us. And Lord, we are so grateful, really, of your faithfulness. Um, Tom and Linda are a result of your faithfulness. Uh, and, and I know Tom was not here to, uh, to get a pat on the back and to propagate his own faithfulness. Uh, I know he knows that because you're faithful, he was able to do those things, and, and Linda as well. And so we thank you that um, you do keep us and sustain us. We do pray for the ministry in Finland. We pray for Miska and Kyle and now yet another second church that, that has joined that ministry. And, and now we know there's two churches at least that declare the, the sufficiency of Christ and his word and preach a, a true gospel there, Lord. And we pray for those men. We pray for those churches. We pray for those believers, Lord. Um, and we pray for fruit that after this 40-year ministry of Tom and Linda's, that the fruit of the gospel that was spoken and sown for so many years, Lord, will continue to be harvested, Lord. Be with those young men. Keep them true to the word of God, Lord. Keep them glorifying and exalting Jesus Christ in all that they do, Lord. And we pray that you would strengthen those churches and that you would save many in those upper parallels of, the, of our world, Lord, that are, that are lost in their own view of God, or, or even a, a lack of that reason, is a God. But we know that you have a design to draw people to yourself. You know who they are. And we thank you that you placed Tom and Linda there for so many years, Lord. May we be encouraged this morning that we would be evangelists. We would share the gospel. We would engage with people uh, in the truth that changed our life. That we would not be ashamed of the gospel. Help us, Lord, as a church, uh, as individuals, moms and dads, boys and girls, that we would share our faith with friendliness and kindness and a deep love for those souls, Lord. Uh, give us a love for souls, Lord. And, and we pray for you to bring in the harvest, Lord. We thank you for this time together now. Be with us in our second service. Embolden Tom, strengthen him as he preaches to us. May we be encouraged in Jesus' name. Amen.